Hello and welcome to Story Notes, a show that asks audio producers to showcase their work. I'm David Maguire. Now, in this episode, our spotlight falls on a particular doyen of the podcasting fraternity. My name is Christina Moore. I'm the founder of Don't Skip, which is a podcast company. We create a lot of white label content. We have some what we now call original content. And also I take part a lot in the development of other podcasters. Uh, so that's what I do. So a real expert in the podcasting space. So you've kindly brought in a piece for this show. Yeah, so this is a new show called Reimagined. And it's where authors they talk about their work but also they talk about a popular book that they reimagine so the first episode for this series is with Aisha Malik and the reason why I picked this one is because it resonated quite a lot with our current socio-political climate and in a very unintentional way when we we recorded this it was before lockdown it was before the Black Lives Matter movement it was before we started to push for social change in a variety of ways including trans rights and all those sorts of things. Okay let's press play. My name's Aisha Malik. I'm an author. I've um, I've written three books now. So Sophia Khan is not obliged was my debut novel, and um, the other half half of Happiness was my sequel. And uh, my latest book, This Green and Pleasant Land, was published last year in June in hardback. I've been writing since I can remember, and I know lots of people say that, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's very true. I remember my dad getting me a typewriter when I was 11 and getting up at like five or six in the morning to write a murder mystery book. I've always wanted to do it since. And then I just decided to take the plunge to the creative writing masters. Um, and I think that's what really gave me the confidence to pursue actual writing as a, as a full-time career, which is what I'm managing to do for the time being. So my new book, This Green and Pleasant Land, is set in a fictional English village called Babel's End, um, think West Dorset, and it's about a Muslim family um, who's lived in this village for eight years, um, specifically Bilal and Maryam Hashim. Bilal is a Pakistani, one could say cultural Muslim, not even that. He's quite removed from his faith and his culture, his Pakistani background. His mum is in Birmingham, and um, one day she she falls ill and um, on her deathbed because she fears for Bilal's soul, for his faith, um, and she really believes that Islam will bring him into himself. She, she, she really worries that he's kind of drifted of too far away from who he is. On her deathbed, she asks him to build a mosque in this village, and initially he's 
you know, he's extremely sceptical. He doesn't think this is ever going to happen. But eventually the guilt of not having been the son that his mum wanted him to be eats away at him. And he decides to announce at the council meeting that he wants to build a mosque in this village. Battle lines are drawn and two kind of factions um, appear and um, we've got people who are against the mosque and people who are for the mosque. And suddenly this kind of this tiny English village becomes a microcosm for what I guess some might say Britain is today um, in terms of um, who do you think you who do you think you are? Are you English? Are you Pakistani? Are you really assimilated? Um, are you accepted for who you are? Or are you accepted for what you've made yourself be because you've shared all these kind of hereditary customs and um, aspects of your faith and culture in order to assimilate. The vicar in my book, Richard, he's this kind of new age vicar who feels that he's very liberal, very accepting, he's cool, he's kind of hot, you know, the whole hot, he's got the whole hot priest thing going on. And um, when Bilal and he are very good friends, and when Bilal comes to him with this dilemma, Richard himself is actually very shocked at his own prejudice. So he didn't realize that actually he's not as liberal and open-minded as he thought he was. And so what ends up happening throughout the narrative is he begins to really interrogate his own perception of himself um, as well as the things around him. And, And for him, it becomes a battle of not who he is but who he wants to be and he wants to be the open-minded vicar he wants to be the person that brings about positive change in the village and so that battle is within himself to kind of accept that this is who he wants to be but he has to do things which are perhaps going against his better nature um, in order to do them and I think Richard was a really useful way for me to unpick how it is we perceive ourselves and how we actually are. And Richard was a useful way of doing that because he's a vicar. So for him, looking inwardly is very much a part of his faith. Um, And I think as a society, we probably don't do that nearly enough. I don't think we are, as a people, we are very reflective um, of our own behavior. We're very reflective when it comes to other people's behavior. But when it comes to our own points of view and when we are challenged, um, we always feel like we have the moral authority. And so this book was really about picking apart um, why you think you have that moral authority. I have chosen to reimagine Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. that book, I read it for the first time when I was 17. And I fell in love with it so much. Um, And I have my old copy even now, actually, and I've got bits that are underlined and highlighted. And I was so unspeakably heartbroken when Joe didn't marry Laurie that I remember going through the book and thinking, no, this can't be the, no, this this isn't how it can end. And um, and so I thought, well, what would have happened if Joe had married Laurie? Um, so in my reimagining, Joe did, because that's the way it should have been written. I was so horrified at my own reimagining at how things actually would have transpired in reality that I was like, actually, maybe Louisa May Alcott did the right 
thing. I think that Joe, after Meg's wedding, when he proposed, um, I thought that she would have been so emotional about losing her sister that she would have clung to the person who was closest to her, her best friend. And I imagine her making a... um, kind of denying the feelings of reticence that she had um, and actually saying, you know what, this means that I get to help my family financially. I, you know, she's very practical about it. I get to help my family financially and I'm marrying my best friend. Um, And maybe I could help him with his wayward ways and give him direction. I feel this is what would have happened, right? She would have tried to be a writer, but she would have got pregnant, obviously. Um, And so the kids would have prevented her from writing um, because Laurie would just be trying to be a good dad. And he probably would be, but there's still, you know, he wouldn't have done enough for her to be able to go away and write. And actually, he wouldn't have fully understood why Joe is so obsessed with being a writer. He never would have got that part of her. I think he would have, he understood it on a surface level, but not really how it was kind of in her veins. And as a result of that, um, there would have been an increasing distance between them. Um, And then Beth would have died and Joe would have had a mental breakdown and she would have escaped New York where she would have met Professor Bear. And there he would begin, he would have understood her passion for writing in a way that Laurie never did. And um, he would have, he would have cultivated, not cultivated, but he would have brought out the parts of Joe that had been repressed, partly of her own doing, but mostly because, you know, it, it was an, it was an untenable way of, um, of being creative, that whole family life. And then she would have written back to Laurie about Professor Bear, her new friend, and he would have got unspeakably jealous, obviously, because he's Laurie and he's actually quite egotistical and um, passionate, but egotistical. And um, Amy, in the meanwhile, she would have married Fred Vaughan ages ago. And she would have obviously have been unhappy because she was never in love with him. She's always been in love with Laurie and she would have still been in love with Laurie. So Laurie would have gone to Amy um, about you know, Joe and her um, new friend, Professor Bear, and they would have had a bit of a moment and they would have ended up having an affair. Laurie is that boy, is that hero that that every man ultimately ends up being. They have an idea of a woman who's different and strong and interesting, and they love that in theory, but in practicality, actually what they really want is someone who's regular. And um, I think Laurie is that hero. So in some ways, um, after 20 years, I've come to terms with the fact that Joe didn't marry Laurie because Laurie actually isn't, is, is not good enough for Joe. Hadley Freeman actually mentioned something. When we adapt and reimagine 
classics like um, Little Women or Pride and Prejudice. It's it's a really pure form of narcissism when you try and adapt those books in line with your version of morality and what is right and modernity. And so actually reimagining um, and reinventing characters to be um, kind of anachronistic in a way because they're, they, they're not actually behaving in terms of um, their contextual upbringing. And actually, I think that does a disservice to the 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 way that adaptations are made. Um, I think if it's there to kind of pull out, then great. But if it's not there, you can't just, you know, you just can't create it out of thin air. And we have to accept that because I, do, I, and I think that narcissism is actually a perfect way of putting it because we're so intent on um, imbuing um historical pieces of literature with our own mentality and not accepting that actually you know these were different ways of thinking it was a different way of li- living there were different there was a there was a different framework of what is expected and um and you know th- there has to be a level of respect for that I absolutely loved it. So could you explain a little bit more about the concept and and uh, and where this idea came from? I wanted to do a series of monologue shows, one that focused on a different medium. So the first one was, or is called The Making of Me, and that's already available. And that's, a, that's around music creatives. And this second one, Reimagined, um, which you listen today, is uh, around authors. So... There were a couple of things that I wanted to achieve with this and one of them was to demonstrate that a podcast didn't always need a presenter or a host and that there were ways of creating a podcast show that could be potentially engaging, I'm not saying that this one is, but could potentially be engaging, that didn't need a podcast host and that was still cheap to make, uh, which was the important thing for the types of people that I tend to help. So with a lot of the training that I do, it's all a lot of people who are uh, independents in one way or another, whether they're journalists or whether they're small business owners, they still need a way of creating a podcast that's not you know, in the hundreds of thousands, potentially millions, you know, they don't have a wondery budget. So if they didn't want to be a presenter of their own show, how could they achieve this? So that's what they are. This series, this monologue series is about demonstrating um, how you can come up with an idea um, and how you can have it focus on different mediums and potentially different types of businesses. Right. And, you know, like you say, that kind of format where it's self-contained and you don't need anything extra it just the whole thing comes from the person who's created something and from that you get the intimacy right you get this kind of driving force behind what in this case the author is is talking about and um, when it comes to the process that's particularly relevant because it's very rare that you you hear those thought processes be behind creative concepts and I think that's what you get in this was that was that done on purpose? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was funny because after each of the interviews, 
all of the authors said, oh, I really enjoyed that. It really got my mind going. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when you ask somebody to analyse something <laughs> in a slightly different way, they're like, oh. Quite cathartic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I, what I really liked about that is, you know, a lot of um, self-contained stuff, it's overproduced or kind of over dramatized but what you seem to do is add little bits of sound design here and there you know the turning of the pages that kind of thing was that an afterthought or was that something that you always had in mind before you started this for this particular one that was definitely something that I had in mind I would say that the first show the making of me was a little I I would say that it was overproduced in the sense that it was over sound design that's a phrase and I decided that I wanted to a make it shorter and b scale it back a little bit and give the story that the author was telling breathing room the sound design its only purpose was to just kind of emphasize um key moments in that story what I love about it as well is that there's room for different types of stuff too there's no right or wrong ways there it's just whatever the producer wants to get across and um if there's, if there's one thing you wanted the listener to take away from this series, would you say it boils down to, to one particular thing? Like if in an ideal world, what would you want the takeaway to be? Oh, from the entire series? I think there's a couple of layers to it. So the first is if you were ever interested in making a podcast and, and, and I'm happy for people to do this, to, to reverse engineer the process and try it out for yourself. So that's one layer. And I guess and the other one is to really to get some time with the authors. So the reason for a monologue podcast is so that I don't infiltrate the author's time and your relationship with the author. I think that sometimes in many podcast shows and even in, on some interview TV shows that the hostess or, or the presenter is a little too keen to be the centre of attention. And so the idea was that I would remove myself and also just give the author or the creative time to to present themselves and their work. I, I was not important in this process apart from putting it out there. Did you produce this when uh, everyone was in lockdown? No, it was uh, just before so right. um, we only had the raw audio by the time we hit lockdown. And I think we did the last interview like, like the day before. And even then it was touch and go whether the last guest was going to come or not. And they were like, I'm just going to risk it and let's go. <laughs> so in terms of the authors that you interviewed for this process, did you have a certain type of writer that you wanted to target or is it just people that you were fans of or uh, what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, so in the back of my mind and partly because of what I stand for on social media, uh, I wanted to have a broad representation of British writers. So there were a mixture of men, women and different ethnicities as well. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that that happened. And so there was also diversity of thought in each of the episodes. Like when you can bring diversity to the table, you can also provide your listeners 
with different perspectives and in the world of creative content and whether that's music or in this case this is authors at being able to transport your listener and also provide them with a different perspective is the aim of the game right it's, it's what you're supposed to do otherwise stop writing uh so that that was kind of like oh it just absolutely makes sense that if as an author you're bringing a different perspective then as a podcaster as a podcast creator I also want to bring different perspectives to the table so could you let the listener know where they can find out more about this series and and more about yourself as well sure so the series will be available in all good podcast apps um so that will be like apple Podcasts. it'll be available in spotify it's called reimagined and you can find me on instagram at don't skip media twitter at don't skip media and where else so i think i also have a tiktok channel which i rarely use but i do have one uh, <laughs> you can find me there a huge thank you to christina moore our guest for this episode and thank you as well for listening And if you enjoyed it as well, please do subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It really does help others discover the show. And once again, a huge thank you to my colleague Alice Homewood. Without her help, this would not happen. Thanks again and see you next time.